0: On today's episode of the Hustle of the Day podcast, I have Gene Girdley. Gene has experience in both automotive and training and now has his own training company. You're going to want to listen to this one. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent. I'm super honored to have Gene Girdley here with me today. Gene, we've had a lot of good conversation before we got recording, but I want you to jump in here and tell, the, uh, tell my audience a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Sure. Uh, well, the majority of my background is in automotive. I am an automotive retail professional, a trainer, uh, a coach at times, a developer of content. So I do a lot for the automotive industry. Uh, when I first got out of, or first got into college, Um, I fixed cars at a Chevron gas station, eventually ran my own business called Gene's Auto Dock out of my bright yellow Pinto station wagon. (laughs) And as our family grew, um, I looked to do some other things like go into sales. So I started selling cars in 1995, uh, moved to finance, moved to sales management, became the corporate trainer, Uh, eventually went to the corporate side as a part of Saturn's retail training team went to a different corporation, uh, Mitsubishi Motors. And most recently, I was there for 10 years straight as a national sales trainer for the company. Uh, In December, Mitsubishi Motors moved from Cypress, California to Tennessee, Franklin, Tennessee, and they eliminated the trainer positions. Well, being an entrepreneur at heart, I've actually had several different companies, some in automotive, some in construction, I uh, just felt like it was a natural thing to reopen Delray Learning and Development. There was actually a Delray Consulting and Development out of California that I ran for several years. And now it's Delray Learning and Development. And I'm the president of the company and pretty much run the whole thing right now. So that's, uh, (laughs) that's my story and I'm sticking with it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we talked a lot about
0: your automotive experience before we started recording and it's really interesting to see, you know, we're recording this during the the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, it's just interesting to see how all the dealers are changing to what you taught years and years ago. Yeah. Uh, You were ahead of your time. Uh, So, tell us a little
1: bit about the experience with Saturn and how that relates today. Sure. Uh, One of the things that is really different about Saturn is the way that they started the company. And you can see here and see a lot of this online. Uh, You can see stories about it, but General Motors got a group together and they involved them with the process for developing the company. They had a hundred people in a room, told them the vision and said, if you want to be a part of this vision, we'd love to have you be a part of it. We want a hundred people to do all this research on behalf of developing this company And one person got up and left. So it was called the Group of 99. (laughs) And they did 2 million man hours of research to establish uh, the values, the philosophies, the mission for this company. They were different in how they did everything, which is why their moniker was a different kind of company, a different kind of car. Different at the retail level, different in how they uh, put dealerships in place. They gave them a whole market rather than just one dealership that competed against one another. And then their sales process was no hassle, no haggle. They had money-back guarantees on the vehicles that they could return them. And the sales process was all focused on what is most important to the customer. So like you said, we were talking about earlier, the things that we did at Saturn, uh, the values, commitment to customer enthusiasm, trust and respect for the individual, teamwork, all of those things that I could go on, are what consumers are demanding now. And we were doing it back in the 90s. Right. And then, uh, you know, Saturn, um, GM did away with that in what, 2009, 2010?
0: I think 2008, two, yeah, 2008, yeah. 2009. Right around that time, which yeah. is which is unfortunate. But, you know, yeah. there was, there was a, a different crisis going on during that
1: time. Yep. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and, uh, I could I could get into a long story about that, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> might be might be smart for uh, uh, future career prospects, but <laughs> my book um, does though. The book, that okay. There you to. go. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Buy the book <laughs> when it comes out in a couple months. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we'll get into that a, a little bit. But sure. how how did you the experience at Saturn compare and contrast when you moved to Mitsubishi?
1: Well, the beauty about that is. When you have a company like Mitsubishi, who really great people there, um, they, at the time that I came on board to develop training for them, they were really hurting in terms of their SSI, which is sales satisfaction index, and their CSI, which is a more of a service measurement, customer satisfaction index. They were hurting. So one of my first big projects with them was to adapt what I learned from Saturn to processes at Mitsubishi. So the the actual sales process on paper is now very much the same Hmm. um, as it was for Saturn, but we didn't use the same lingo. So for example, there is a tool that we used at Saturn called overview benefits and permission. Everybody would say OBP um, that allows us to take the customer through the process while they feel totally free to make a decision to say no. So it's an overview benefits and permission. I will tell you what I would like to do uh, during the process of the sale. I give you the benefits of it, and then I'd ask your permission. So they, they felt totally confident and comfortable with going along because there was something in it for them, right? The old with them, what's in it for them. Right. I took that strategy and changed the words of it and called it PAC for Mitsubishi. So preview, advantage, and confirm. And uh, they still use it today. I mean there's lots of dealers out there who know exactly what pack is. Very cool. Yeah. Uh so
0: you mentioned, you know, they they had eliminated your position right. by moving across the country and I know you you still do some work with them. Um right. it kind of gave you the opportunity to go out on your own and I know you're still young in this challenge but um what what would you say has been the biggest failure in going out on your own and what is something you've learned from that?
1: Yeah. Uh, Um, the more recent business actually is, has benefited from a previous business failure. The first Delray, uh, consulting and development. Mm -hmm. Um, I had contracts that I put all my eggs in one basket. So I really, I had one big contract. All my eggs were in that one basket. And when 2008 hit, and that crisis hit, um, the previous summer I had told them, "Look, our contract allows for me to go work with other companies." And uh, I had agreed to do that with another company. And th- and this manufacturer said, "Oh, don't do that. We're so busy. You know, you've been. We've given you so much work. We need you right now. You can't cancel on us." So I made the decision at the time to say, okay, I'll, I'll be loyal to you, mm. which there's nothing wrong with loyalty. I think it's a smart thing. But what I did is cut my throat because the day before um, the government started distributing billions of dollars to bail out the auto industry in 2008, the day before they got their money, they called me and told me I wasn't getting mine. Uh. <laughs> so, so that was, that was not their fault. Uh, that was my responsibility for making sure that um, my business was on the right track. And, and I made decisions to not diversify. So now, even in this really short time, one of the first things that I did when I got, cause we really only started this company in January mm-hmm. and, and I did two dealerships for Mitsubishi under the contract that I have with them. And, we got shut down, but immediately I started getting involved with other businesses and getting other smaller contracts. So I do have work now, um, for other companies that, That's good. Uh, yeah. So I learned really from that disaster to make sure <laughs> I don't put all your eggs in one basket.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I I can see how that would, uh, become an issue for you. Cause a lot of people do rely on those big suppliers and don't yep. diversify as much as they should. And sometimes it works out really well for them, but, and obviously there's many instances where it doesn't. Right. Um, which unfortunately you have experienced. <laughs> um, so even though you, you had that negative experience, one thing you said that really stuck out to me though, is that it was just your fault. You took responsibility and owned up to it. A lot of people don't do that looking in retrospect. And so, I first of all, I have to applaud you for that because that shows, I think, that you are learning from it, that you are, that you can take that and, you know, apply
1: it to the, to your future. So right. that's, so that's let great. Me, let me just interrupt before yeah. you keep too much praise. <laughs> the, process, the process was the learning experience because when that happened, I was very full of blame <laughs> for, the, for the, that company that did that. After telling me what they told me, yeah. Uh, but uh, I have since grown from that to where I realized that, uh, yeah they they treated me poorly, but it really wasn't their fault that I ended up in the situation I did. So, yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: um, so it does, it kind of leads into another question, though, of, okay. uh, you know, you've got this positive attitude now. Who who was it that you would say has been most influential on who you've become today?
1: Well, I think I mentioned prior to us going on air that I was a minister hmm. and I did youth work. And so my relationship with Christ is extremely influential. I get up, even if I travel to the East Coast, I'm on Pacific time right now. but That means that in order to do my devotions and read scripture and I read other devotional material as well, I'm getting up at what would be three in the morning, right? To do that. But, and I journal uh, and have been, I've been studying the Bible for 40 years. Um, But as, and again, I'll bring up my book, not on purpose, I'm not trying to pitch it here, but you asked the question (laughs) throughout the, the story, I identify very specific individuals that influenced me. So for example, I mentioned the Chevron gas station and the owner of that gas station's name was Dave Swap. He wasn't married and didn't have children at the time. So he kind of took me under his wing and taught me a bunch of things. But the behavior that he instilled in me, because way back then in the gas stations, you had the air hose that cars would run over and the bell would ring, right? And here's Dave under the hood, you know, doing a tune-up, which they actually did those back then, uh, (laughs) doing a tune-up and he's got his cigarette in his mouth And, you know, I might be, I'm just learning, right? At at the time I'm cleaning, I'm throwing sawdust in the floor and soaking up oil and things like that. And uh, the bell would ring and he'd put his cigarette down, grab some goop, wipe off his hands and run out or not really full bore run, but kind of a fast shuffle Mm -hmm. out to where that customer was. And uh, one of the philosophies with fish is be there. He gave them his full attention. He asked them to do things back then that we now teach in the service drive, pop the hood, crank the the tires, and turn on the lights. Uh, So I learned the concept of really being there for customers from Dave. Um, Moved from there uh, to the next experience that I had in automotive, and I had two great um, uh, managers, uh, Dennis and Becky, and um, they really taught me about focusing on what I can improve. So I got introduced to these guys. Okay. Jim Rohn, uh, Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy. I don't think I held them up right. Um, Those three guys, when I first started selling cars and Dennis would give us books or have us read books as part of our growth process. And that those guys mentored me from afar. Um, Another one of my favorites is Jim Cathcart and in some of his writings, he's a a great speaker and a a great author. But my my, uh, credenza here is full of books. I got a library right outside my door here. I am a reading fool. Uh, So, um, you know, besides that, I mean, as far as the business goes, that would be it. But clearly, too, um, the most significant growth that I've had is being married to my wife. And that's a very positive thing. Um, you know, when you're first dating, uh, and you first make that decision that you're interested in, in pursuing someone to be married, uh, there's a lot of opportunity, and there were uh, several opportunities to decide on someone who thought I was a god. You know, oh, I'm just so crazy about you. Whereas Patty made me work for it. <laughs> she made you No, know, she just didn't say, "Oh, absolutely." And she has. Uh, been a huge influence in holding me accountable and um, making sure that I'm not allowing my own thought processes to just take the easy way. So gotcha. he's been a huge influence uh, for me. There were coaches along the way I played baseball at a high level uh, that really helped with a number of things, but, you know, it, it's a number of people. It's not one individual person other than my faith in Christ that uh, I would say has influenced me. Very cool.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I'm only married 12 years now. You said you've been married 40 years. So, um, uh, almost. <laughs> almost 40 years. There yeah, you go. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, so we're a little different in terms of length of time, but I can tell you, yeah, there's definitely plenty of lessons I've learned from my wife over the yeah. years. So, um, but that's great that you acknowledge so many different people that have been influential in your life. And, um, it's, it's amazing. It really is a cumulative thing. Uh, There's obviously several people who have had big impacts and I've had several people who say, you know, this is the one person that influenced me. And, um, that's, that's true for them, but I think everybody plays a part in that. Yeah. Um, and speaking of people, playing a part in that. We've talked a little bit about my automotive experience versus your automotive experience. I've been a sales guy. I've been a service advisor and I've been with all the wrong dealership groups, not necessarily the the dealership groups, but had the wrong bosses. Let's, let's call it that. Uh, so you do a lot of training now in the automotive industry with Delray training or Delray. Uh, so what do you think is the biggest need right now in the automotive industry?
1: Okay, well, given COVID 19 and everything that's going on with that, they need to be willing to change and make it stick. So, if you're on social media and you follow any automotive or marketing and advertising companies, uh, other trainers, it really is the focus on doing what is right for the customer, keeping them safe, uh, meeting their needs, full disclosure and transparency of the deal if you're selling a new car. It used to be, we're not going to tell them anything unless they come in. But man, you go back 20 years and invoices were online 20 years ago. So people could access them then. Holding back any information is really just shooting yourself in the foot as a dealer. So full, full uh, transparency is something that they need to embrace and forget with the, you know, the whole thing of trying to trick a customer into coming down to your store so that, now you've got them, right? They can research. They do on average 16 hours of research before they ever even call you. So a lot of times they know more about the product than the salespeople do, which is totally wrong, by the way. (laughs) Uh, It literally is just laziness to not learn the product. You should just learn the product. Got a good friend who's also a trainer, uh, Sandy Cerami and. He uh, says he's, he doesn't train on product at all, really. He trains the process around the product, but he just expects them, man, you guys better be prepared. If I'm going to come and train at your dealership, you should know your product. Because right. the most important part of it is relationships. And uh, too many dealers have focused on a profit and loss statement and the number of units that they got out and how they can maximize their gross profit on a trade-in value. And guess what? There are disruptors now that even before this hit, especially with used cars, have put the dealers on notice. And if mm-hmm. they don't change, they're going to be gone. For sure. I think uh, there's been a huge
0: shift in that, uh, even with you know going back to Tesla, trying to sell direct to consumers right? Uh, and all the legal fights that have happened around that. And then... Yeah you get into a change in consumers, not necessarily, you know, their behavior has always been more aligned with the Saturn model, but right now they're demanding it more. And then this happens, this COVID-19 and it's just, it's all building up to where the dominoes got to fall somewhere. It's either the dealers have to comply or
1: then they'll, then it'll go elsewhere. And let me say one other thing regarding that. Um, in addition to the way they view their customers. And if any dealers are listening, you've probably heard this already and manufacturers, especially too, need to accept the fact that it's not going to go back to the way it was. Um, the new car business, there are too many cars being built right now. Wow. There's uh, there, you know, there's 50% more cars being built and there are people who could drive them. <laughs> and so they're just piling the inventory up on dealership lots that are not going to sell. And the focus really needs to be on fixed operations because the dealerships have lost 80% of their business to independence because they didn't treat customers right. But if I was running the dealership today, I would focus everything I could on fixed operations first, the parts and service part, meeting the needs of customers in that area first and foremost, and then let the sales come uh, as we start to reopen, but it really is about the customer service. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And you know, those, you mentioned the, you know, the CSI scores and they're, they're heavily weighted in, in terms of, you know, the dealerships train you how to approach those CSI so that they do get the best score. It's not a true reflection right. on, most often. So,
1: right. Yeah, um, you, can, you can coach a score. You certainly can. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I frown on that, but... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I can tell you a few people that are doing it. But <laughs> um, So how does your training differ from others who kind of teach in that automotive industry?
1: Um, I focus heavily on culture and the way the customer views the dealership. From the first time they look at their website, right on through to the follow-up. So I don't see a sales process as linear. Mm-hmm. I see it as circular. And you could start at any part of the circle of the sales process. So if you, if the sales process begins with a customer reaching out to make an appointment, let's say, then they arrive and it moves to fact-finding or qualifying. And then from there, a presentation of the product and a demonstration drive. That's the traditional approach. Uh, but then, with most car dealers still and most uh, sales prof- professionals, which I hesitate to call them that if they <laughs> do the stuff I'm talking about, but that is uh, follow up. All right, yeah. following up with that customer, whether they buy or not, mm-hmm. caring for them as clients and not just thinking of them as a consumer, but somebody that I'm going to take care of for the rest of their life in automotive. If you have that mindset. Uh, then that's going to take you a long way. So uh, when I do in dealership training for Mitsubishi, they want me to focus on the uniquenesses of the product too. So I do spend time focusing on what sets the Mitsubishi product apart from the competitors. Uh, how did did they innovate early on? Because you can go to com and look at the history. And Mitsubishi, for example, was the one who came up with traction control and it's now required by law in every car sold in the United States. So it's not all about customer relationships with me. I do a little bit more product training than probably most, but here's the thing that really sets me apart right now. Uh, the remote learning. Mm-hmm. So I have probably had more experience doing webinars. I don't know of any other uh, trainer that's had as much experience as me. It's not to pat me on the back, but I mean, I just don't know. Um, There are a lot of them who do podcasts like yours right now, so they have that experience. But actually taking um, 25, 30 people on a webinar and managing everything that is involved, including engagement because you can't always see them, um, making sure you're asking the right questions, using polling information, implementing videos the right way at the right time that support the learning. So there's all these elements because one of the things that I learned years ago, and it's even worse now, if you're in front of a crowd and you're training them and you're gonna be doing it for eight hours, you got 15 minutes in one format. So you can be standing on a flip chart for 15 minutes, then you gotta switch it. Yeah, You gotta show a video or you gotta get up and everybody walk around and do a role play. It has to constantly be fresh and that's the same is true with webinars. Of the webinars that I've attended, they've been mostly Zoom calls, a bunch of people on the screen, not a whole lot of information is being shared. They're just kind of talking to each other, which is healthy as far as um, interacting with people, especially since we're locked down, we can't hug our grandkids. Hmm. I think it's really important that we do that. But I'm kind of uniquely qualified uh, to do big events for automotive entire group organizations if they wanted to hold like a a culture training event, I would be, not that there's not others that can do it. They can, but I've actually had a lot of experience doing it. I uh, did a call in radio show years ago for KBRT in Southern California. I was also a board operator and did voices for the, the kids shows uh, <laughs> on Saturday mornings. Uh, so I've done voiceover work and I've, I've been a board operator. So to be able to multitask with a huge group of people managing their microphones managing you know their browsers and all that kind of stuff during a big webcast i think that makes me a little unique in that category
0: yeah absolutely i think uh, all those things you're talking about i've i think back to you know one of the trainers i had uh, when i was in the automotive industry and I don't think he had any of those qualifications (laughs) and, you know, he was just part of this one group kind of worked his way up through this one dealership group. And, um, you know, he could have still been young in his career and that, but uh, thinking about it, it's like, yeah, they didn't have any of that experience or any of that knowledge, uh, that, that you really bring to the table. So
1: most, and most of the uh, trainers that I, uh, am influenced by, because I'm influenced by other trainers, I'm always learning myself. And those who are really successful long-term, they have been retail guys. They've either you know run dealerships, they've owned dealerships, uh, they've done everything within a dealership. So I've got both service and sales background. And there are quite a few of us out there that have that. There are a number of new people coming in that they're very talented in front of people, but they don't have that actual retail experience. So it, I'll tell you, it's really tough mm-hmm. when you're, because they challenge you right away. They've never, they've never met you before. They'll throw a question out just to see if you know your stuff. So uh, if anybody's listening, that's interested in becoming a trainer, I'm going to highly recommend you actually sell and or service cars before you try to get in front of a group and tell them how to do it.
0: Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> um, so you, we've, t- you've, my audience has obviously seen it. However, we talked a little bit before about how you're just a positive person. So how is it that you stay positive in light of challenges like COVID-19, like, um, you know, we are one client uh, going belly up and stuff? Sure,
1: sure. Um, I think I could give you all kinds of answers, but as I process it, the, the, the one answer that really stands out is being responsible for me. Um, being willing to look in the mirror and say, if anybody's going to make a decision to be positive, you're the one who has to make it. You can't rely on the circumstances outside yourself. And I mentioned these three little books. I mean, these, these guys are nothing but positive. Um, we have in the fish philosophy, choose your attitude. And, uh, every day when you put your feet on the floor, you can actually make a decision. I'm going to be positive today. Um, and again, and, and I like to I like to use that quote by Chuck Swindoll, uh, which finishes: um, "Life is life is 10 percent what happens to me, and 90 percent how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. There is that 10 percent. When I'm training, I'll use that illustration where." Uh, someone in the family dies or uh, one of your children are really, really sick. You know, you're you're trying to weigh whether or not you're going to take them to the hospital. The right attitude is to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and come alongside them and don't just put on a happy face. So you you have to choose different attitudes for different things. But in 90% of the cases, I, I could just go around going, Oh man, I you know Mitsubishi closed down. I don't have any work now. <laughs> I could do that, but what good does that do? It, it does exactly. no good at all. So by uh, having the mindset that really was instilled with me uh, in my Saturn days uh, of being positive, because whatever your attitude is. If you come in contact with a customer, if you're online, like you and I, you're smiling a lot all the time too. Um, if I'm constantly, you know, being negative with my body language, customers will see that. They won't want to oh, yeah. do with me. So having a positive attitude and putting a smile on your face draws people to you. And you can exchange that energy with them. So that's... I hope that answered it for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you've, you've touched on it a little bit, so I'll give you a chance to, to delve into it further now. You've okay. talked about your book. Yeah. Uh, you actually are writing two books currently, right, correct? Right, yeah. Tell
1: us a little bit about those. Okay, so one's a novel, um, uh, and it ties directly into my life experiences without it being completely true. Um, it's a story of a young boy. I won't won't tell too much, but it's a story of a young boy who, um, grows up in a broken home and, uh, basically has a choice while he's really young. Do I want to go and, um, just go out of the world and face it for what it is? Or do I want to end up in a foster home? And the choice was, I'm going to go face the world, even though I'm not even old enough to drive a car yet. And so, uh that's what that story is about. And and I, I, I hesitate to give you, I'm happy to talk about the other book, but I hesitate to give you any more of that because I don't want to give it away. It's pretty fun. It's pretty, it's a pretty fun story. Um, And uh, I have a guy who's helping me with that uh, because he's been a storyteller for years. And so we're crafting it together. Um, But uh, the other one is my automotive experiences from the, the story I told you with Dave right on through the last chapters will literally be about what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I walk through all of the steps of my entrepreneurial life, whether I was working for anybody or not. It starts at the gas station. It goes then uh, to Saturn as a sales consultant. And the dream that I had from the first time that I went to Spring Hill, Tennessee and saw the plant and saw the way that that these trainers trained who are on the retail mm-hmm. training team, I immediately came back and said, I want to be one of those. Yeah. Um, so it, te- it tells the people who were doubters, uh, who said there's no way you're going to be able to do that. Uh, it tells the process I went through for becoming a Saturn trainer. Uh, it tells what happened when I left the, the retail team to go back with, uh, with the Campbell Automotive, Automotive Group and the Saab franchise there. And then being moved again to the Saturn franchise and then the Mitsubishi. So it tells literally the history of the moves that I've made in automotive in my career and the things that I learned from each of those steps and the individual people that have really crafted and molded me to who I am today. Very cool. Well, I'll, I would uh, like to formally put in a pre-order for both
0: of those <laughs> okay, books. Okay. Um uh, They <laughs> <Thank> both <you. laughs> do sound interesting and, you know, something I definitely want to uh, read through. I've Reading has been a more recent thing for me. I okay. only grew up reading magazines and that was it. Okay. And it's like, it put a book in front of me. I didn't want anything to do with it, but I've recently got into that uh, a little bit more, but um, i since it is the hustle of the day podcast, I do yeah. typically ask everybody, I, I could pick out lots of different things just from your story, but I want to get
1: your personal definition of the word hustle. <laughs> okay, so this is what pops into my head, right? Um, hustling with your mind, moving quickly, with, quickly when you need to move quickly, slowing down when you need to slow down, and making all of those strategic energy-related uh, moves. So hustling in your mind before you actually hustle in your body there you go. is, is the, uh, I think one of the critical keys to success is making sure that you've done all the work, the calisthenics, the, the bodybuilding, the, uh, the planning, all of the stuff that an athlete does. Cause I was an athlete was at a high level too. Um, all of that takes place here first. Mm-hmm. This is where it all starts. This is where it's all executed too. Um, some of the hustle that I experienced and I still, in fact, you see an arrow behind me that's pointing to the fish philosophy, be there because one of the challenge that I have with all this enthusiasm and energy at 61 years old um, can be a detriment too. I I believe your your greatest strengths are also your greatest weaknesses because I have that drive. I have that hustle. I move a hundred miles an hour. I have to, I literally have to force myself to stop walking so fast when my wife and I go for a walk or we're in the model <laughs> because I'm just go. And if I have a project and somebody else is in my way of that project, I have to mentally force myself to be aware of them and, and then be there for them because yeah. I'll just run over. I'll just, <laughs> my brain is so much on go, go, go but you got to hustle in your head before you hustle with your body. Yeah, I would agree with that. I've met met many people who just uh, go with
0: their body first and don't think about the ramifications of it, and right. end up going two steps backwards instead of one step forward just because they've created more work for themselves just by going without thinking. <laughs> so yeah,
1: yeah,
0: I I would agree with that. Uh, um, thank you for that answer. Sure. Um, so I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You know, I know you've been doing some trainings already today, yeah. uh, but before I get to where you can, uh, plug where, you know, you can find more information about you. I do sure. want to ask you, what is it that
1: excites you about the future? <sighs> I'm going to give you a religious answer first and then I'll give you my personal answer. Um, God's still on the throne. <laughs> God is still in charge, and because He is, and because He wants the best for me and everybody else on the planet, um, if we'll just accept that and and let that happen, then uh, the future is going to be bright. I, I have a plan for you, a plan for a hope and a future. The Scripture says, um, and if we'll just rely on that, then there'll be you know a positive outcome. Then personally. The outcome message would be or the the positivity and, and why I, th- I think there 's a, f- a bright future is because i 've seen what happens when people come together and choose to do great things in the midst of a crisis and because we 're god 's imagers and we have the capability of creating amazing things and and the skills that he 's given us, uh, I think we 're going to win on this. I think this trial or this crisis has actually created better thinking, more energy, more innovation, more preparedness for the future than we had before it. And that's what uh, I used the analogy I've used before of the old uh, silver pots, the old silver smelters. When the heat gets turned up is when all the crap rises to the top. Pardon me for saying that. (laughs) uh, When all the the dross is what they call it, uh, rises to the top and they scoop it off and once they've scooped it off then what remains is something that's more pure uh, even diamonds it's a it's a lump of coal until it's put under in extensive pressure that shapes it into that diamond so i'm excited because humanity when we face a crisis we tend to respond pretty well to that crisis very
0: cool yeah i like i like how you are taking this whole experience and, you know, putting your own positive spin on it. And I, I agree with you. I, I think we crisis really reveals character and, uh, for some people it's negative, but okay. I think for the large majority of people, we're good people. And yeah. so I think, uh, I think that does bring out a lot of good in people.
1: It, it in these situations. So and we we also can't we can't understate or undervalue um the fact that people are losing their lives as a result of this. Uh that uh the first responders and the hospital and doctors and and the nurses are are putting their lives at risk to save other people. Uh, but that in and of itself shows the resiliency of people. But uh you know I can be positive in all that but if somebody comes on and, and they are saying, yeah, I just lost somebody to COVID-19 and I'm just not, I'm not going to go, Hey buddy, just pull up your bootstraps. No, man. I'm going to like, I'm going to be with them. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's like, really
0: what we should be like. Yeah. Like you said, be there. And be there. you know, and, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I really appreciate uh, again that you took time out of your day to talk to me. Um, but where is the best place for people to find out more information about you and uh, to connect with you?
1: Yeah, I have the really the best place is LinkedIn, because that's where I do most of my business related work. It's just G-E-N-E-G-I-R-D-L-E-Y. So, you know, the LinkedIn slash mm-hmm. and then Gene Girdley. Um, I also have a website and you people have contacted me through there. You can see a little bit more about what I do. And it's just delraylearning.com. So Delray, this is the way you spell it. D-E-L-R-A-E learning.com. Very cool.
0: I'll make sure to include uh, links in the description, show description below so people can click on those and thanks uh, get access to you. But I want to, again, say thank you. And I know my audience has gotten value out of this because I've gotten value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle <laughs> the day thanks for listening to the Hustle of the Day podcast all the way through. I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know that I help small businesses with their online strategy. So if you or anyone that you know needs help with their online strategy and owns a small business, I'm your guy. Go ahead and connect with me at Trent v. Bray on Instagram or trentvbray.com.